Hey everybody, it's John Lamoureux. Thanks for listening to The Hustle. Today we are going to Canada to talk to two very storied rock and roll bands from Toronto. Uh, our first guest is the band Toronto, uh, featuring Holly Woods and Barry Connors, who we'll be talking with today. Uh, they were a rather successful band up in Canada. Between 1980 and 1985, they released five albums, did pretty well, uh, never really translated to the States. They had one minor, minor hit uh, in 1982 with a song called Your Daddy Don't Know that only reached number 77. Um, that song was actually covered by the New Pornographers a few years ago, which I think gives them kind of a layer of street cred. Uh, it acknowledges that these guys write good music. Uh, Toronto, to me, I've always thought they sound like a cross between Survivor and Heart. I call it uh, Stallone music, because it sounds to me like the kind of music that would have been written for Rocky movies. You know, hard driving, rocking, pump you up kind of good stuff. And Hollywood's uh, has an incredible voice, sounds just like Ann Wilson. Now, in this conversation, we talk about, you know, Canadian success versus American success. But we also get into a very touchy subject, which is songwriting credits. Uh, two members of Toronto wrote a song. Uh, these two people are no longer in Toronto, incidentally, which I think is kind of key. They wrote a song that went on to be one of Hart's biggest hits. And um, Barry and, and Holly discuss with me something I hadn't thought of before, which is that maybe songwriting credits weren't given specifically to them. But when an entire band shapes the sound of a song, uh, maybe there should be credit given all around. It's a very touchy subject because those two people made a lot of money, had a lot of success off that song, and that success did not translate to the rest of the members of the band. It's a very interesting story. Uh, wait till you hear it. And afterwards, we're going to talk to Anvil, Rob Reiner, the drummer of the one and only Anvil. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but for right now... Enjoy my conversation with Holly and Barry. They called me from Toronto. Holly Woods and Barry Connors from Toronto, thank you very, very much for uh, agreeing to talk to me today. I, um, I always kick off these interviews with an explanation of how I got turned on to these bands in the first place, um, especially when they're kind of, you know, on the fringe a little bit. I think it's interesting how, these, how the message gets out there. I remember very distinctly it was about – Nine or ten years ago, I had I was washing the dishes and VH1 Classic was on in the background, and uh, the video for When Can I See You Again came on, and I immediately stopped in my tracks. never heard of the song I had never heard of you guys but from the get-go and I'm still quite baffled by this that that I can't imagine a better more anthemic rock song especially for that period than that song I don't know why that wouldn't have been like one of the biggest songs of 1983 and uh, you, you just never know you never really know you think you know but honestly the public can be you know yeah, very sick or not. You just never know. It makes no sense. I just thought, what more do you want than a perfect song like this? 
there and, are uh, so so many variables that true. You know, people don't understand behind the scenes. I'll, I'll give you a very brief example. Uh, Tom Petty wrote his solo record with Running Down the Drain on it. I forget mm-hmm. the name of that album. But uh, Full Moon Fever. That's it. Well, originally he took it to the executives at his record company, and the three of them said uh, basically it was garbage and they wouldn't release it. So a year later, they fired those three, and Tom said nothing and took it back, and uh, they released it with about five number ones in the biggest yeah. record they had had. So Probably his go. best, biggest, most successful record. Isn't that crazy? So much, yeah. and this is something I've I've learned since starting this podcast and talking to people like you guys. So much of the of this is out of your control, and it's political. It's somebody at the label likes you or doesn't like you, or they fire the right guy and hire the wrong guy, or whatever. Uh, they can only promote one thing and not two, so the other band gets the nudge. It's just unfortunate that you guys, as creative people, as artists, are not always fully in control of how you're received out there. It's a shame. Well, we love what we do, and we love doing it together, but it's easily summed up. Rather than spend a lot of time on the negative side of it, it's a business that has no business calling itself a business. Yeah, Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Well, look, I kind of want to go back to the beginning. I... um, as I've said, the the focus of this podcast is really to find out, you know, kind of what people do when their careers start to wind down and um, how they maintain themselves out there. The, the podcast is called The Hustle, and it's called The Hustle because that's what artists are doing. They're hustling to get paid. They're hustling to get heard. They're hustling to get gigs, to put out albums. And so when the band kind of wound down in 85, I know you're back out there now. But you guys had to be doing something in that time to, you know, stay relevant and pay your bills. Well, let's go back to the beginning, though. Holly, you have one of the biggest, most powerful voices I've ever heard. Did you, when, when did you know as a kid that you had that talent? Uh, actually, I, I didn't really know offhand. I just have a problem with rejection. And um, uh, my stepbrother had a little neighborhood band that needed a singer. He suggested I come in and, and give it a shot, and I went in, and they turned me down and broke my heart, so I went home and rehearsed and did scales and actually went to a teacher for a couple of lessons and uh, worked it out so that when I went back, they could not refuse me. That's crazy. I put a lot of hard work in it, but... Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always had very good pitch, and I love music, so put uh-huh. the two together. And... Well, I mean, now, clear, I mean, let me ask you this. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Do you? I, I always think you guys sound like a cross between Heart and Survivor. Do you get sick of being lumped in with Heart? I would imagine that you get that a lot. Personally, I do not. Okay. Fantastic band. I mean, how can you oh, really yeah. think of such a great comparison? You no. are probably aware that the biggest single they ever had, we mm-hmm. did and wrote. Yep, and I want to talk to you guys about that when we when we get a little further down the chronology here. But yeah, I um, I'm surprised, Holly, that uh, you felt like your voice was something you that you needed. I mean, everyone works on their voice, but it just seems so natural to me. It's huge. It's such a powerful, powerful tool. Um, 
did you have kind of stars in your eyes that you wanted to become a rock star or a professional singer? I I really did not have the star trip going on, uh, and frankly, I I don't think I ever will or ever did. Mm. I just wanted to make music my life. I know that sounds corny, but Mm-mm. I wanted to make music my life. I wanted to make it my my priority, and I wanted to write and sing and actually produce as well at some point, and so I was aiming for that. Right. What did you – now, one of the things I like to kind of cover in this is the first big break. Um, did you – what kind of a – what were you doing for a regular job um, while you were trying to kind of get discovered or get signed or, you know, be able to do music for full-time? Playing in club bands, doing really? cover so, material. Okay. Started at 16, backing up strippers with bands. <laughs> wow. Been at nice. it ever since. Not backing up strippers. <laughs> I was right. one of the strippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was too young to actually be in the club, but I snuck in anyway and sang. So you, um, I mean, so you, that's all you've ever really known. I mean, there was, you know, there wasn't a time where you where you stopped working in a bank or something and became no. a rock star, huh? No, only brief periods um, after the band Toronto broke up, I did some other things, sure, just to pay the bills. Yeah. But for the most part, for the most part, it's it's always been music and making it work. Yeah. Do you remember the first kind of experience or moment when you felt like? Um, when you got signed or when you when you were discovered or whatever, when Toronto was about to break big? Do you remember that that moment in your life? We were actually riding down Young Street. I think we were either going to a, another club gig or coming from one. And uh, even the score came on the radio. Okay, that's it. That's it. Yep. Done. I've got there. Yep. That's what you want forever, that feeling. Yeah. That's it, huge. It was amazing because my brother was a disc jockey, and he would bring home top 40 records when I was just a kid, and that was the sign of success was to have a 45 single. Mm-hmm. And so I figure, well, you know, they can take a lot of things away from me, but they'll never be able to take away the fact that my voice is on vinyl forever, even after I'm yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that sense of kind of immortality must be a pretty emotional and impactful feeling. Um, it, what about yeah, you, Barry? It, 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 makes oh. you feel like you, it makes you feel like you're at least leaving something when you go. Sure, sure. And that's why I like to tell the bands how I discovered them, because, I mean... You know what you what was going through your mind 32 years ago or whatever it was when you recorded 
when can I see you again? You you had no idea that you never know the butterfly effect of these things. That 23 years later or whatever it was, some guy would be washing his dishes and become yeah. a fan, you know, while hearing your video in the background on VH1 Classic and becoming like fascinated with you. You know, you just never know how these things are going to happen. It's incredible. I, I've heard some beautiful stories over the years. That's for sure. Good, good. Barry, how did you get started? You were kind of bouncing around in bands before joining Toronto, right? Yeah, I was. I uh, I started very young, just like Holly, and paid my dues playing everywhere uh, from you know northern Ontario, Quebec, Newfoundland. Horror stories of. of desperately trying to make it. Mm. I finally got myself in a band that I thought was what I wanted. I have a, a very progressive mind and background. So I grew up on Frank Zappa and uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, and then I discovered Yes and Genesis, and I, mm-hmm. I was enthralled with all that music. I joined a band that was an all-original band. We did uh, music that was compared to Yes and Genesis all the time. I thought it was fantastic, but I got sick of the $35 a month we were making. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somebody called me and said Toronto was auditioning. So I thought, I'm going to give this a go. I went out and I bought Head On, their second record. Keep on pushing this world to the I went to an audition. Um, they liked it. They called me back. It was between me and somebody else. And uh, I got the gig. And I was completely blown away. Uh, I, I'll tie this into you asked Holly her moment. And I can tell you uh, that is a fantastic moment. First radio time. But mm-hmm. before that happened for me, uh, I rehearsed with the band for less than a month. And we headlined a show at the Edmonton Coliseum here in Alberta, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was 15,000 people, and Martha and the Muffins and Klaatu opened. Oh, wow. And it was my first gig. And uh, wow. they paid me a little more than $35 for that <laughs> one. And at one point, Holly held the mic out, and I will remember this until I die as though it was yesterday, I heard thousands of people singing the words while I oh. was drumming, and she was egging them on. And uh, yeah. uh, I never I never forgot that. The hair, every last hair on my entire body was standing on end, and it was a fabulous moment, and I realized I, I think I've made it. Yeah. I can't imagine any of your previous bands, no offense to them, were performing in front of 15,000 people, were they? Uh, not even slightly close. You know, That's we went from 15 to 150. Wow. And that Gosh. was it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, jumping yeah. up to 15,000. 
and uh, there were some amazing musicians. I loved Martha and the Muffins. Klaatu was a good mm-hmm. band, if you know them. I don't know them. I do know Martha and the Muffins. Klaatu was uh, rumored they were the reincarnation of the Beatles. They released a song called Calling Occupants of Interplanetary Crafts. Huh. But in any case, uh, it was just fantastic. So okay. that was a big moment for me. And from there, we went in the studio and we recorded Get It On Credit. So mm-hmm. my next moment was in the van with the band going to a gig or a rehearsal and our song came on. They were used to it. You know, they were, they yeah. had it happen a half a dozen times, but it was my first, and uh, wow. it was awesome. I bet. Oh, my gosh. can only imagine what that must feel like. Um, now, not being Canadian, you guys are kind of a mystery to me. Um, I, the, as I do the kind of the research to learn more about you guys, I mean, you've had you have platinum albums. It, it sounds like you guys were kind of a big deal, in Canada at the time. I mean, I um, what was your what was your impact or your footprint in the states? Was there a very very distinct uh, line being you know drawn between touring in Canada and co- touring in the states, or selling records in Canada and selling records in the states? Is it kind of like one of those British bands that ever quite quite translates on the other side of the Atlantic? Um, actually. As far as I know, of course, you hear many different sides of stories as to what happened and why. But in my best recollection, we did several tours in the States. They all went well. Good. But uh, the record company really did not push our product. You couldn't really find it in stores, and it wasn't getting any airplay. So I can't really blame that on the band. Yeah, yeah. It was just one of those things where you're you're a Canadian band with Canadian management, and I think uh, we more or less got lost in the shuffle, John, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, I mean, I don't know much about, I, I, I don't know much about the, the any kind of, um, you know, a, an issue with being a Canadian band. Is that a hurdle to get over? But, you know, like I said, going back to the, British versus, versus American bands trying to kind of compete for attention on either side of the Atlantic. Are, are you facing that too? Because that's it new is. to me. It, I've never heard that. It is. Uh, you have uh, you have the management of a small country, and yeah. you don't really have the worldwide um, accolades and other clients and clout that an American management would have and can push. And... Um, we were basically going by a lot of things on the seat of our pants and working uh-huh. hard to establish ourselves without a lot of uh, promotion and uh, record company backing. It was just, uh, it was very uphill. And I yeah. think considering what we were up against, we, you know, we did our best. Yeah, yeah. And, Is, uh, um, oh, go ahead, oh, please. Sorry, I'm sorry. 
four no. of us were four of us were American or USA mm-hmm. born, and two, well, actually, one was Canadian and one was from England. But I'm from North Carolina. Yeah. And yes, and Scott and uh, Nick and Jim were all from upstate New York, from Rochester, New York. Right. But Barry is a Toronto born and raised um, guy. Uh-huh. And so uh, we did have Canadians in the band. <laughs> I guess um, I guess you're determined or defined as Canadian because that's where your management comes from, or is that? And, that, and be- that's where we based ourselves. We were all okay. we all met in we all met in Toronto, and I had been playing uh, the clubs in Toronto and around the surrounding area, and that's how we all met. Yeah. Huh. Well, um, so. Again, I just keep thinking about the sound. Um, I'm not saying it sounds dated, but it sounds so, because it doesn't sound dated, but it sounds in line with those bands like Foreigner or Boston or Loverboy or, you know, that were filling stadiums at the time. And I'm just thinking, I'm confused. Why, if you have, if you have a good thing and you're, uh, you guys probably don't know the answer to this either. It just seems like if you have a good thing, why would you, why wouldn't you take full advantage of that? And it seemed to me like Toronto was a good thing. There was, you know, potential there. Why would you not exploit that? I don't know. John, it sounds like, uh, you know, you're completely in tune with the way that we feel. Uh, (laughs) Probably. It's extremely tough. You know, things have changed uh, incredibly here in Canada now. We were lucky in the stage we were at because we were able to play to giant crowds uh, at the time, and, and that is no longer a possibility. I personally can put it down to just without being factual, back then, if there was you know, 50,000 bands in Canada trying to make it, and we sold gold and platinum records, and we played stadiums of 15,000, Today, there's a million bands compared to yeah. the 50,000 trying to make it. And the yeah. budget that record companies have without having, um, you know, a Bon Jovi or a Judas Priest or an Iron Maiden or, you know, I can go mm-hmm. on, on their sure. label to support it, they have to be incredibly selective. It makes no sense. Yeah. We got screwed, that's all there is to it. And yeah. I went on to other bands that got screwed, and it's just, it's very unfortunate, you know? You bring up a good point. Should yeah. we have been based in L.A. from record one and tried to make it? Uh, I bet you we would have uh, been talking to you now from mm-hmm. the balcony of my palace overlooking right. the ocean in Fiji. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I mean, I just don't hear the difference. So you mentioned getting screwed. I mean, let's let's tackle this. I uh, you know I've been reading about there being problems with your your label going uh, bankrupt and having to. This is something that keeps coming up. You're having to break up because of legal reasons with CBS Records. Can you explain to me, as somebody explain it to me like I'm a child? Why do you have to break up? What's really going on? Okay, so. You know, this is a very touchy subject, John. And That's true. If there's something you can't say, go ahead and skip it. Yeah, there's lots of stuff that we can't say. We can say a couple of things. One, okay. it's the business that has no business calling itself a business. Two, 
We've got a management team and a record company that is out for what makes the most money for them. And, you know, whether I should say this or not, I will say it. Maybe it's difficult to make correct decisions when you're under the influence of certain products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, put that all together and, you know, yeah. we're, we're sitting here today. We have yeah. uh, five gold and platinum records and we were a big deal in Canada and we had some fantastic tours. Before I joined, Holly played with some tremendous bands from Journey to uh, Ronnie Van Zant, and we went out with uh, Ted Nugent, I think, mm-hmm. three times. Wow. We did uh, a couple of Nazareth tours, and you know we were received extremely well and invited back on a lot of American tours. So you know, we had a fantastic ride. I, I, I can't complain. I can only complain that we maybe had some strong songs that should have been released that weren't. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Holly, when you look back on those heady days, kid, what are is there a particular gig or tour or act or whatever that you performed with that comes to mind as being kind of bigger and more memorable than anything else? Gosh, you know, I over the years I've I've been on um weekend rock festival mm. tours tours with Hart, Leonard Skard, yeah. Peter Frampton, uh, Pat Benatar, oh my gosh. So yeah. I, I don't I can't really say there's any one thing that stands out where I just went, Wow. All of it. All yeah. of it is always inspiring for one thing. It will mm-hmm. make you <laughs> get out of my pocket, Sherry. I saw something in her pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh, it, it will raise your bar when you hear how high they raise the bar. Uh-huh. Uh, whether that makes any sense or not. But Sure. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any one particular um, band specifically. Maybe, I would say maybe if I had to top it all, it would probably be Journey. Really? Okay. Terry, I, I would say that really, uh, yes, listening to him sing for me was a very much a high for sure. And what a great, wonderful human being. Oh, good, good. Okay. Interesting. Now, are you still friends with any of these people, or do you talk or communicate at all? When we when we're on the same bill together, we'll say okay. hello, but but there's really no time for catching up, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people wanting to knock on the dressing room door and say hello or hangers on or whatever. So you mm-hmm. give everyone their space. Okay. Um, <laughs> Forgive me for if this sounds too indelicate, but at the height of Toronto's fame, and again, I wish that I were Canadian so that I would have a better frame of reference of, you know, kind of the magnitude of Toronto's success and, and popularity. Would you have considered yourselves rich? Would you have considered yourselves famous rock stars during that period? Or was it still kind of you're doing what you love um, but you're, you haven't, like, made it, so to speak. You haven't broken through to the mainstream. I can sum that up with a song <laughs> that makes sense for all of us. You know ZZ Top? Mm-hmm. Waiting for the bus? 
The bus oh. never came, John. The bus okay. was on the way, but it never arrived. Interesting. But, you know, in saying that, we rubbed elbows with, played with, were accepted by, made great friends, rocked audiences. You know, we had a fantastic time, but something kept us from what you're asking about. And, yeah. uh, you know, I can speculate, guess, blame, do anything, but I'm well over that. It's, yeah. And so is Holly. Yeah. We had a great time. We had a great ride. And, you know, let's focus on what is really great right sure. now is we have a killer uh, version of Toronto that Holly and I are proud of. And we're out there and rocking. And it's, it's just great to still be accepted and loved by sold out crowds now. Good. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I wanted to know, what is life like now? I uh, I began following you guys on Facebook probably, I don't know, three or four years ago. Um, yeah. When did when did Toronto sort of become, you know, an entity again? Uh, I don't think it ever really stopped up here being an entity. Oh, really? Okay, so yeah, you've been, I really don't. you tour I really don't. regularly? They keep pulling me in. I keep trying to get yeah. out, and they keep pulling me back in. <laughs> right. I was right. there for, for quite some time, but I, um, it's five years now. Okay. Or four and a half or something. But five years that I contacted Holly and said I wanted to uh, get this going again. And uh, I think she fought me for about six months. I did because I had been out of it. I had been out of the reunion uh, band for uh, probably about four years. And when Barry phoned, I was deep into my blues band and my oh. animal rescue service, and oh, uh, wow. I just, uh, but Barry talks a great game, and I missed it. I missed our uh -huh. fans a lot, and I missed working with Barry, so here we are. Yeah. So the, so what, you know, Holly, I'll start with you. When, when the band kind of came to an end, uh, what did you end up doing? What did you do for the next? 25 years or whatever, I went whatever on, it was. I went on to record two more albums. Uh, down in, um, I did a lot of work in Vancouver with Brian McLeod from Chilliwack. He and I okay. wrote a few songs. And the result of the album was the co-writing of myself and Scott Cryer. And it was called The Salt and Flattery. And it was on yep. that album, the first tour. Yeah, I spent, we spent some time on that, but mostly Killer. I've been 
I've been working on, on my blues music with a couple of different bands down south and my okay. animal rescue. So do you split time? Do you, do you not live full-time in Toronto? I guess with a name like Toronto, I just assume you guys live there. But um, where do you make your homes? I, I live I live uh, now in my birthplace of Durham, North Carolina, and I come okay. up to Canada when we have rehearsals and tours booked. Okay. And Barry, are you there full time? Yeah, I live just outside of Toronto, so uh, it's very okay. convenient. I can pick Holly up, and she stays with me. And you know, it's a combination of uh, extremely convenient that we can rehearse and uh, you know be at my place, as well as you know we're still absolutely best friends, Good. brother and sister, so to speak. So we spend time together. Great, great. Um, do you guys make your living now? Uh, just with Toronto, or do you have other, you know, side businesses or other gigs or other bands that you're involved with? Uh, no, we both have other gigs. Holly mentioned her animal rescue. Yeah, I wanted to ask her about very that. Very involved too. with a lot of that down in Durham, and I have never stopped drumming, so I'm into, uh, well, I hate to say it, but I guess it's about 42 years now of drumming. I drum every day. I teach. Uh, I have a number of projects on the go. Holly has her own projects down in North Carolina. So singing and drumming is still a big part of both of our lives. Uh But, uh, yeah, it doesn't 100% pay the bills. So uh, we're not in nine-to-five jobs. Let's just Uh say that. We're lucky enough that we don't have to go into a corporate world or be in a factory boxing chocolates or anything like it right but, um we're doing stuff that we love yeah well that's great that's what it's all about right i mean if you can yeah. spend your life doing that you've you've got success right there that is success yeah 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 um so okay I, you mentioned earlier what about love Tell me, tell me the story behind that, if you don't mind. Now, from what I've read, um, it was dropped, I believe, at the last minute from being on Get It On Credit. And so, Girls Night Out. Out. What's that? It was Girls Night Out. Oh, see, okay, well then, that, I got some wrong information. So it was, uh, it was meant to have been on Girls Night Out, dropped at the last minute. Uh, Jim Valance, uh, did he give it to Hart, or how did, how did Hart find it? What's the story there? Well, um, this is this is a this is a situation that I, I take a fairly strong stand on, and oh. I do I do it for myself as well as you know uh, what happened with this whole thing in Holly. I'm a firm believer, and at the time I was young, and Toronto was the biggest band I'd ever joined, and we were successful. You go into a rehearsal, and and Bob says, I got this idea, down, 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 and everybody turns it into a massive song. To me, Bob shouldn't have all the credit for that. Mm. 
that's a simple version. So that song was brought to us. Brian Allen's a great writer, and you know he wrote a lot of the songs. He worked on that song with Jim Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, credit goes to his wife, Sharon Alton, as well. We brought that song in and worked on it. So I'm easy to overlook that I played the drums and worked up all the drum parts, and somebody else could probably have taken that over. And, you know, maybe I got shafted, maybe I didn't. But Holly sang everything there. And have you heard our version? situation it was we did 20 i you know i'm going to say 22 songs for girls night out i couldn't remember the other seven or eight that didn't make it but that was one of them and uh things went a little sour and there was a whole whack of reasons that there's no point in going into but we split up i moved on and that song brian apparently sent to hearts management and you know the story is they heard it and and didn't change a thing and did it and yeah. it's the biggest song they've ever had. So yeah, you know, I mean they finally have received what was due in a realistic world. Absolutely, it's horrible yeah. to think that is what happened. And you know I'm not a huge U2 fan, but I will say that Bono writes 50, 60, 70 percent of their material. And they split every single thing 25% per person, right. no matter who did what. Is that yeah. the way it should be? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. when there's six people in a band, somebody brings an idea, and all six turn it into what is a good song, and uh, yep. you know, five of them or four of them or whatever are given nothing. Yeah. Uh, that's just a sad situation. That's all. I've wondered about that. Um uh, yeah, your version sounds almost identical to their version. And well, I, I spoke with, with Ann about that. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. I did. I, did. I spoke with Ann about that in Atlanta backstage at her show. Uh, 
she was, uh, when I came backstage to say hello to the girls, she was under the impression that I had written the song. <laughs> yeah. And I said, actually, most people call her Annie. Most people think I wrote it. And uh, I sang it, but I have no writing credits, Anne. I, yeah. I don't have any writing credits. And she just looked at me straight in the eye and she said, if you had not sung it, I would not have done it. Nancy and I have been listening to your work over the years, so we we pretty much knew yeah. that it was you, and I just didn't I didn't see the need to change much. And I said, well, thank you. That's all the credit I need. Yeah. Oh all wow. Million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, credit is nice, but a uh, little little money isn't too bad either. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about your animal rescue. This is obviously a passion of yours, especially if it's what's been kind of keeping you, you know, busy and engaged these last however long many years. What's involved there? It's a major passion. I do – I set traps for feral cats and dogs, or if there's any mistreatment going on, I go to the report and make sure everything is okay with um, with the animal's surroundings and, and food and things like that, not work at the shelter for whatever needs to be done, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And it's full time. It really is full time. When wow. I'm not singing that when I'm not singing that's that's full time and that's weekends yeah. and can be overnight and morning. So yes, I am wow. very passionate about it. It's where my heart is, along with music. Okay. Are you married? Do you have kids? family, anything like that? No, I don't have any children because of my music, and okay. I'm not married at the moment okay. at the time, so I'm very much single, Yeah. and okay. uh, I guess you could say I stay busy, and it's really not one of my priorities. I know that sounds <laughs> odd, but... No, I don't. I wouldn't I'm, imagine that it would be. I'm quite fulfilled. I guess I'm just one of those people that's, a, that's pretty happy uh, being single. Yeah, yeah. Well, and focused on your art, right? I mean, your life is full of things you're passionate about. That makes up for a lot, you know? Yeah, and I'm hoping that's not sounding too selfish, but... No, I don't think so at all. If I could um, keep going and juggle along with my music and and my Mm -hmm. passion for animal rescue, so... Okay. Here I am. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, when you guys perform as Toronto, like, how often do you do that, and do you only... Do you ever cross into north of, uh, into the states, I should say, or is it always up in Canada? We haven't as of yet, and we're from ten to fifteen shows a year. Oh, nice. Okay, that's not bad. We're uh, we're fairly big and accepted in uh, casinos here in Canada. I saw that on your tour schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So the casinos are great. I mean, uh, we just did the Deerfoot in Calgary, and just to give you an example, it's you know it's a thousand seat room, and it's sold out, and awesome. it doesn't take long before Holly has everybody on their feet, and they sing every word, and great. it's just a ton of fun. Great. That's great. Um, is is your daddy don't know? I mean, is that your signature song?
I love you for is not your signature song. I didn't get that impression anyway. Is your daddy don't know? Is that like the encore? Is that the main one? Well, let's say that's the one that people uh, go the wildest over. But uh, even a better question: What's the one that you like? Uh, well, it's still "When Can I See You Again." That's my favorite. Um, I also like "Master of Disguise." I mean, I don't, I've, I've been listening to a ton of your stuff lately trying to get ready, and I don't recall all of them uh, from memory, but I've been listening to them all, yeah. Yeah, so we added a few older ones, but... Um, okay. Yeah, it, it's tough, you know. What we do right now is generally a, a set where every song has been a big uh, FM or AM radio track, so... Nice. We actually have a lot of merchandise, and one of the shirts has 12 or so songs on the back, and they're all in some way or another a hit. Uh-huh. Interesting. The main reason I ever stayed with the band as long as I did, because mm-hmm. I'm a very, very picky person. Uh, I'm the type of person I will watch very briefly American Idol or The Voice, and everybody sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Holly is just so amazing, that's why I stuck with her. And her tastes and my tastes, although they're very different, we respect each other because we look for you know, extremely talented people. That's what we <clears throat> like. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to sum it up that we we don't put up with uh, people that are average or okay. So yeah, right on, right it's on. There's a very very strong relationship between the two of us. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. Um, well, I think uh, I think I pretty much covered everything that I wanted to ask you guys about. I um, 
I wish that you were uh, that you came down to the states more often, or I got to find a way too. to get up into Canada. We, <laughs> yeah, do, we, we do too. We do too. If you ever come up into Canada, please, we'll do our best to uh, show you some good old find, hospitality. Yeah, I'll find a way. I would love to see you guys. Let's be um, honest. You have three kids and a wife that are in the background saying, "Not a chance, John." <laughs> Kind of true, actually, um, but uh, but I'll find a way. Some maybe if I become a famous podcaster one day and I'm rich, I'll just take the family on a vacation to uh, Edmonton or whatever. And, if that uh, happens, you'll, you'll forget about us, John. Oh no, 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 no way, no way. That's what this is all about: is uh, trying to turn people on to good music. Awesome. Well, yeah. I can say for both of us that we have really enjoyed this. You, uh, Thank you. You're great to speak with. You've made us feel very comfortable, and we hope we've given you what you were looking for. You sure did. And I just I just want to thank you guys for making good music. And I and I just I hope that you realize, and I'm sure you do because you're still out there, you guys do things and you write things and you perform things that move people, and I'm one of those people, and I'm just – I want you to know you make a difference. And even if it's just in some regular guy in Denver, Colorado, um, it's made a difference. And so I just wanted you to know that and feel that. And so I'm really thankful that you gave me some time today. Thanks a lot. Thank you, John. We're, uh, we're, you know, I mean, you touch us with stuff like that. We're... All right, there you have it. Interesting, right? I mean, Heart puts their heart and soul, so to speak, into this song uh, that Ann Wilson sings the way she does because of the way Holly sang it. She was, like, inspired by that performance, and yet Holly never receives any money from this. It's tricky. It's a tricky situation. But those were good folks. I'm really grateful that they talked to me. All right, let's talk about Anvil. Now, Rob Reiner is the drummer of Anvil, and I approach this conversation as if the listener is well aware of who they are and had seen the 2000 docu- 2008 documentary uh, on the band. Now, if you haven't, you might be confused by some of the things we talk about in here, um, and you might wonder why I'm not approaching him like I would any other guest. Well, the documentary Anvil, the story of Anvil from 2008, already basically tells the story that I would tell in this podcast. So I wanted to find out from Rob what life was like after the the hoopla of the documentary. Uh, The sound quality in this is not great. I don't exactly know why. Probably the, maybe the cell phone he was talking on. Hopefully you can make it out though. Uh, He was a really nice guy. We learn about his artwork. We learn about what keeps him so grounded and serene. It's a funny answer. Honest. And uh, we learned about some post-movie life. Anyway, he also called me from his home in Toronto. Well, hey, Rob Reiner, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this conversation. I really appreciate it. I, um, I wanted to tell you how I discovered Anvil. And probably, unfortunately, like most people, I, I discovered Anvil when I saw the movie, which is... The, the the depiction of that movie, the ups and downs of a musical career, 
that movie tells the exact story that I'm trying to tell in these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I grew up in a pretty religious, uh, grew up pretty religious, and so I'm almost 42. So the 80s hair metal period, I know no one likes that term, but that's that would have been right in my uh, formative years. And I think I was a little scared of them, you know. Um, you grow up when you're a kid and you, and you um, metal's out there, but you, you're sort of, you assume that it's kind of scary and that it's dangerous. And when you're a kid, the only people who really are depictions of that of that music are sort of the stoners at school, you know. Everything's about peer pressure, and there's a uniform involved. And so I was just kind of afraid. And about 10 years ago, I read Chuck Klosterman's book, Fargo Rock City. Are you familiar with this book? No, no I'm not familiar with it, but I could already have given you therapies for your condition <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I read this book. Chuck Klosterman's a writer. He's um, he's a big He's kind of a pop culture critic, and he wrote what was basically kind of a, a defense of the artistic merit of hard rock and heavy metal. And I realized I've had this wrong all along. Hard rock and heavy metal fans are not scary. If anything, they're like the salt of the earth. They're That's patriotic. Right. Of course. Of course. They're God-fearing. They're good people. What if I, and I, They're just celebrating. That's all. It's about having a good time. Actually, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and I had it wrong, and that's when it came into my blood. I'm curious, when, you, when did you discover metal? Probably, well, myself personally, I was I was I was a young kid. Uh, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Zeppelin, Humble Pie, Grand Funk, Hendrix. That's you know, and that's not really metal. You know, I'm maybe describing like heavy rock blues, really. But you know, mm-hmm. it, but Sabbath was kind of metal before we called it metal. <laughs> Young kid, I was, you know, how old was I? You know, I was 12 years old, perhaps, something like mm-hmm. that. And uh, I just loved. It spoke to me, like you just said, you know, stoner and, and peace, love, acid, and you know, I grew up as a hippie, even though I missed it by a little bit. I still grew up like a hippie. So I, 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 I connected with that whole thing as a young kid right away myself. Mm-hmm. I got the vibe. You know, I mean, I love the music. Yeah. And, Feel I could feel the music, I could feel what was in the music, you know, and it just made me. Uh, I don't know. I just actually just was attracted to it. I guess. Yeah. That's basically my best memory of, of getting into hard rock music when I was a kid. Huh? Do you um, to this day? I mean, I assume you go back and listen to those old bands. Do you have a favorite? Uh, Is there a? Yeah. Of yeah fact, your favorite? I've never left there. I still live in the '60s. Do you? Absolutely. Yeah. We all kind of do that, don't we? We stick with the music that was big in our formative years. Yeah, musically, I'm certainly still in the 60s and perhaps through the 70s, but that's it. There's nothing... uh, I just love what that was. It was... Everything was created from honesty, innocence, innovation, and 
you have to actually be fucking good. <laughs> you know, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, people say that this is good or these guys are good. And, yeah, sure, people say that. But when you really sink your teeth into some of the stuff that's described as good, it's far from that <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on every level. So it's a new world that we live in today. And, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm still here and I'm stuck with this world. I love living, but this world is not a very nice world anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, for many reasons, but we don't, we don't need to go there right now. Right. I'm curious, and music, too. And, and the music that's part of whatever the world is today is, I wish uh, I wish these new guys and all these upcoming guys and everybody, you know, they've all missed the plot, in my opinion, on mm. what they really should be doing, you know? What do you? What are they missing? They're missing the true essence of honesty and good old, straightforward, simple, melodic music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the metal guys today are making a racket. It's all just a racket, you know? Yeah. On every level, from vocally to the riffs to the uh, arrangements, like the production, the whole thing's just a racket, and this is considered attractive and cool. Yeah. So, is it, I'm not so tough because of my age. I, I'm, I'm a music uh, professor, junkie. I listen to everything. I know everything, but I always find myself, you know what? I'm going to go back to my the good old stuff because that never sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's yeah, you're never, right. It never sounds bad. Yeah. So that's what I've noticed as time has gone on. I don't listen to metal music uh, um, at all as far as contemporary stuff because there's nothing there that holds my personal interest at all, nothing. And I huh. I listen to things. Bands give me CDs. I check all kinds of stuff out. And it just all sounds linear to me. It all sounds the same. Yeah, yeah. There's no style. There's no individualistic um, magic. Thing. It's just like whatever. It's just regurgitated on regurgitation. So, I don't know. I don't follow Yeah. Mind. You're obviously um, an amazing drummer. And I, uh, I, I personally, I don't think you get the credit you deserve. I, I mean, the band doesn't get the credit they deserve. But you as a drummer, there's, you, there's few out there who, who could be your peer. That's all I've known most of my whole life. Yeah. It's pretty weird. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, but you know, he's but probably the best. But I, you know, I'll tell you, I got, I got nothing but all happiness for all of everything because it's all been changing, and people are recognizing it and getting it today and spreading the word, and it's, it's different today. It's not like it used to be. It's absolutely changed so much. It's, it's not even like I don't know how to talk about five hours about that. Huh. I mean, that's interesting. Now, did that change come about? After the movie, I'm curious how the movie changed your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, what the, I'm just so how the movie changed my life is that everything around me changed. I'm uh, still the same person. <laughs> right, right. I'm still the same exact person. Um, but everything around me totally changed. Every single aspect that I, I could have ever imagined changed. Um, a lot of it was all uh, you know. I feel relieved with uh, like um, the recognition like I was just getting to. I feel quite relieved with the recognition that has uh, come about from the, the movie. I mean, that movie that movie has been seen worldwide by over 100 million people. Just Isn't that crazy? Just as a fact, uh, you know. Yeah. It's been, viewed, it's been viewed by many. And it, it keeps going on. And it seems like now to me that it's just going to keep going on. Mm-hmm. It's a movie, so you know you can watch it whenever you watch it. You can discover yeah. it whenever you discover it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're, we're a real band. We're active uh, all the time. So there's always new people constantly, I guess, getting on the Anvil fan wagon. Uh, you know, some people really get on and, and get the music. Some people just think they're cool, so they want to be cool. And uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that I think is attached to our, our like fame, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the when real, you're... The real, the, real, the real people who get the music and the musicianship and the songs, and, yeah, they're there and they haven't gone away. That's been just getting bigger and bigger as we right. can So it's... it's yeah. So I'm, good with all, I'm good all with all that. The, uh, the drumming uh, legacy, uh, what can I say, you know? Um, I deal with hundreds and hundreds of emails every day from drummers, you know, telling me how much they respect uh, what I've done and how I've inspired them. And, they, you know, I just, it's confessions. I feel like I'm the Pope and people confess to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I feel, sometimes I feel like that. I also feel like Santa Claus because all we do is take pictures with people, you know? So I always feel like, mm-hmm. hey, you want to take a picture with me? I don't feel like Santa Claus. I mean, like it's just, yeah. but that's, that's that um, recognition thing, you know? Um, I'm not sure. I think, it's, I think it's kind of cool. It takes up a lot of your time. I love to read, but I do love to read what the fans and drummers and musicians have to say because many people uh, walk away very inspired by what we do. Mm-hmm. Extremely inspired. Like it's, uh, yeah, like it's, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys are survivors. We damn sure are. And, uh, and we're still rocking the head. We're not, we're, I don't even know where the last uh, high show, so the movie, we're at the movie. So what you're asking how things have changed. Well, in the last, I don't know how many years now, last track, it's got to be at least seven or eight years now. You know, we don't, I don't have a day job. I, I make uh, I make my existence or my living from my band and my music now. So does Lips. So it's been a beautiful, uh, been a beautiful time, you know? Great. That is exactly what I wanted to know. Um, you know, the movie, it shows Lips you know, doing the children's catering thing and, and selling the sunglasses, you don't really get a sense if you are 
if you have a regular job outside of Anvil. Uh, so I have two questions. Number one, did you? And number two, uh, if not, had the or even if you did, did the for, did your fortunes changing after that document after that documentary come out? Um, are, is that what allowed you to now make a living off just being an anvil? Well, what happened was um, the director wanted to, um, with my consent, I, I wanted to be more mysterious, you know, I want, with this whole thing. Anyways, you know, I, I yeah, was, I thought you might. You know, I was I was brought. Um, the stuff that was revealed was all, you know, coaxed on by the director for like the like the artist. I didn't want to tell the world that I painted. I didn't want to show my paintings. You know, it was no. I just did it for myself. That's mm-hmm. what I still do. You know, I, I mean, that's, that's I'm right now painting right now. It's, when I don't tour, I paint. But he told me, you know, convinced me that I have to show the world that I, I'm, I'm a painter. Mm-hmm. So I went along with it. So. Uh, but other things about the, uh, like the showing the work and stuff. Yeah, I had a, I was a, I built, I was a home builder. I built homes. I used to do oh. that. I was, uh, you know, I had my own, I was in, I had a bunch of guys that we were all involved in doing that. But, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I had to do something, but it wasn't really what I wanted. You know, it was just something I went along for a while doing that. And you gotta have, you have to survive <laughs> to uh, yeah. feed your feed your habit, which was music. Sure, sure. So you know, we we were just doing what everybody else does, you know. Um, but after the movie uh, became uh, successful and uh, all the like chess, it seemed like all of a sudden now there's tens of thousands of new fans everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it changed everything, it, you know. People bought all their music. They're still buying their back catalog. Um, they come to the shows. They buy their T-shirts. They buy all their merchandise. Yep. And um, and we get paid. Uh, you know, I guess we get paid reasonably for what for the level of uh, stuff that we do. But That's great. we've been able to we've been able to sustain ourselves, um, making the band our full time job, and it's. It really feels proper to to be to be doing this. This is what I've That's always great. wanted to do. Yeah, what a blessing! That's huge. I'm really happy for you. I wasn't sure what the. I mean, I assume you know the thing about that movie was that it basically took you guys out of just the rock world and into you know the pop culture spectrum. Like yeah, you were saying, course, us, yeah. Yeah, really suddenly cool, thousands yeah. of people are aware of you and want to support you based on the movie they saw. I um, And I'm one of those people, even though I, I've grown to love metal now, I didn't even know you guys then. But Yeah, but you know, you're not alone. And I'll tell you right now, in the last, uh, well, basically the last seven or eight years, virtually all the touring that we've been uh, embarking on, it's mostly first-time people coming to see us. Yeah. And, I can, and it's been going on, I'm here many years later, and I'm telling you the same thing. It's not changing, so... Like if we come back to like we just were in the states, we just did uh, you know we just did eighty shows in America this year, right? Yeah. Well, I mean between like you know last year and this year, and we were like in your town, Denver, you know, we were there. Uh, we were just there a couple of times. Yeah. And every time, you know, like I'm just using as an example, every time we go there, it's a new audience. Yeah. It's more or less. Uh, yes, there of course. You know, the people who heard about the show or could get off and make it that night or planned it in advance. Or, they, they, the, the real the real rockers always show up, but the other ones, it's always waves of like, okay, 
New, new audience. Yeah. Next time around, here's another new audience. Oh, we're here again. Another new audience. Yeah. And it just seems to be like a cycling. It's just what it seems to be going on. Always. Yeah. Way more people know who we are now, but most people have never seen us live. Well, I uh, yeah, I um, I saw you guys at Castleman's Bar um, here in Denver probably about a year or so after the movie came out. And um, oh, well, that, 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 that would have been like seven years ago, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a while ago, and um, I remember there were only about twenty people there, and I was I was just dumbfounded that that's I thought well. Are these guys, did this movie not change the hearts and minds of people like it did to me? And I, and it was one of those things where, unfortunately, there was like one drunk guy who was kind of out of control yeah. and sort well, of ruining what? the night you for know, everybody. You know, yeah, well, that's all a result of straightforward lack of anybody knowing that we were there that night. Yeah, I, that's what I wondered. Yeah. Well, that, well I thought that's, that's all there was. The thing, the because thing that we... No, go Our ahead. band or many bands faces, you know, when you're not into the corporate world of uh, the full-blown corporate echelon of doing things, you rely on these local promoters to do to get the word out. And in our case, our word, uh, the word of Anvil is beyond the underground. Yeah. There's people like like you were just saying, people in the mainstream who know who we are. But if you're not going to put it in a local paper that the mainstream person reads, and in the local radio station that those guys listen to, and so on and so forth, they're never going to know that we're in town. Right. They just, right. just will never. They will never know. And what happens is this happens. This happens all over the fucking place, all the time. And then for a week after, we play in wherever, in whatever Seattle, you know, whatever fucking town it doesn't matter. And people go, "Holy fuck, man! I didn't know you were here, man! Fuck, yeah. I can't believe I missed it! Holy fuck!" So it's just an endless cycle, and to break out of that is uh, you got to get out of the um, playing these little shitholes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. why are why are we what we do? We do we do everything. That's the thing. You know, we do anything. We'll play the big shows. We'll play a shithole. We just love to fucking play and be seen sure. and play for the fans. That's animal. We we love it. How many um, how many big shows are you guys? able to play a year now? Uh, it's it's variable. There's no, Is it? There's no definite number I could put on. Okay. It. I assume you're still getting invited to play in these, you know, metal festivals and stuff all over the yeah, world, probably especially in Europe, right? Yeah, we just came back from Sweden last weekend. We just did uh, Muckle Rock Fest, yeah. And we're going back to Europe, uh, actually, July 8th to do uh, festivals, and we're going to do uh, some UK head, headline animal shows. Excellent. Um, and we're in the process of uh, right now. Uh, we're going to release a pledge music program to to uh, have people uh, pledge for a new record. You know, we're doing that kind of thing. Yeah, right on. Uh, so that's going to be yeah, that's going to be online very soon. Uh, it's just so much ready to be launched, and um, we're going to record a new album. The new album is written and ready to go. We're just going to uh, find a time, sometime, hopefully. In the fall, that's what we're shooting for, and get it recorded for next spring. And uh, the album's going to be called, I believe, uh, Anvil is Anvil. <laughs> that's such a great Anvil name. I uh, 
I've been listening to Hope and Hell a lot lately. Uh, the last album, kind of in preparation for our conversation. That's solid, man. I think my favorite track on there is Through With You. I'm quiet. I have I got a lot to say. 
but you know, I know when not to say stuff, and you know, so I'm one of those kind of people. I'm not an over, okay. um, I'm not a drama queen or emotional type sure. personality, you know. So when you're on stage, that guy comes out, and when you're yeah, off yeah, stage, right. well, Rob, yeah, Rob the Ryan, other the guy, drummer, yeah, the rubber Rob Ryan or the drummers comes out, and then, then I play, you know, I play. People call me the human machine. I don't know. I, I can call yeah. everybody. Else. <laughs> That's great. Um, I was curious, do you have, I mean, in this day and age, Eddie Trunk is like the oracle of hard rock and heavy metal, right? I mean, oh, well, he's, that's, he's that's, making that's, a lot happen. That's just thanks that Eddie Trunk does that. If he really is that, I'm not sure who voted him. I don't know, I don't know, he, got, I don't know how he got voted that. Interesting. See, that was my question. I mean, he seems to sort of be a mover and a shaker in that world. Maybe that's just to me because I watched that metal show and I listened to his podcast. I saw you guys on there. Do you have any kind of a relationship with him? Yeah, or no, with... of course. I know him all. I know Eddie. I know you do? Don. Uh, yeah, I know, I know the whole gang. Okay. Yeah, I've known Eddie I wish that, uh, frankly, I wish that Anvil, you know, was name-dropped more often in some of these conversations. Uh, yeah, you're well, obviously I, a, uh, you're I, an influence for the speed metal and the thrash guys. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not name dropping here. If you ask me something, you know. I, yeah. I, I know him, I'll tell you. But, you know, one thing I said about Eddie Trunk, I can tell you this about Eddie Trunk. You know, I gave him a metal pounder card uh, on TV, and he just threw it right on the table. Huh. So, you know, I, I felt that he really showed me a lot of respect there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's that's just another story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. But it's good that they got that thing going because you know it, it's it, it's you know it's some form of metal you know it encompasses a lot of stuff but I notice it's always the same artists over and over. I've noticed that too. Kind of gets old but, actually. Yeah. So um, right there, they're just totally blowing the whole thing by doing that. They don't mix it up enough with, uh, they just don't mix it up enough. Yeah, yeah, I agree. When you're so, out playing, um, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so whatever. So they'll probably realize it when uh, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you ever get, um, I mean, again, I, I don't know why you guys aren't at least the opener on these big four shows that go around. Are, do you ever are you ever playing shows with some of those guys or on the same bill? Um, uh, and what parts Metallica. of the world are you guys still really big? We played with Metallica in Singapore a few years ago. Oh wow, nice! Yeah, it was a big show, fifty thousand okay. people. It was, it was a, and they gave us an hour set, so it was, it was a, yeah, you know, we had an awesome treatment from that situation. It, it opened up uh, that whole market to us. Just by being on that show, yeah, great. Um, big four. We've never played uh, a single show. Uh, we played like festivals with uh, like Anthrax or Megadeth and Slayer, Excellent. all these bands in festival settings, right? But not like on a you know Slayer uh, Anvil tour. But we haven't done anything. Like these okay. bands, um, I, I don't know what to say about it really. So I'm, I mean, I can say stuff, but I'm not going to say anything because I know. Mm. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, would you say so we you know done, we haven't done it? You know, um, 
So, yeah, we, we could. It would be great. The fans would love it. we get lots of new fans because most people, you know, if we opened up for, uh, let's say, a Slayer or a Megadeth, most of their audience, if not all of it, they've never seen us anyways, ever. That's weird. That's weird. Honestly, none of them. Go to, go to a Slayer show and go, take a survey. How many people have seen Am Alive? And she's going to be going after Alive. And okay, it looks like most people have never seen him. <laughs> huh. Wow. That surprises that's, that's, me. Yeah, that's a reality. Being around as long as you guys have, um, and with the respect, at least what comes across in the movie, the respect you get from your peers, I'm just, I'm surprised there's not, you know, there's not more of that going around. Um, yeah, well, they just don't want to make an alliance with us or whatever. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't pay attention to it, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. We've got other things going on all the time that are cool and, Whatever we're going on, you know, we're doing we're doing everything. We've always been doing our thing. We kind of live in our own bubble. Yeah. Would you say at this point you're pretty satisfied with your career and not just where it is now, but kind of the road you took to get here? Absolutely, I wouldn't change a thing because you know we did it the honest way, the real yeah. way. You know, I live. I've been living and breathing this since I was a kid. You know. Yeah. You know, I virtually have. Well, I've never done anything else. I've always been playing music live. I mean, since I was a kid, I never stopped. Always in the public eye, touring. Never, I never took a time away from it. I took a break or retired and gotten. It's been full time, man, for almost forty years, solid. Yeah. And I've been, I've been really lucky that uh, in the last, you know, whatever eight or eight years or so, you know, we've made a, you know, a nice, decent living out of it. That that's great. Listen, this is the best. Sh- this this is the best shitty day job I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, man, wouldn't we all like to have a a day job as shitty as yours? Okay, that's all. How's how's that one? All right, that's perfect. That's perfection. Yeah. Uh, when you look back, what would you consider to be like the highlight? Is there a what's the first or dominant memory or most pleasant memory that pops into your brain when you look back and you take stock of your life, your career, your musical life? Oh, wow. Wow. Looking back? Well, is there a moment? What is the peak of fame or accomplishment or happiness or whatever it is that you want? It would have to be, for me, it would have been like playing with ACDC and uh, doing those, uh, you know, coming out in Giant Stadium or or wow. looking at going, like, okay, man, I think, I think now we're, like, arriving. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that, that would, that's, I don't think I've done anything more mind-blowing than that, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, playing in front of with Metallica is pretty good, too, but I'd say the ACDC experience was more profound. That's great. That's great. And that was fair. I mean, that's been since the movie, right? Well, yeah, that was, that was about a year after the movie came out. You know, yeah. I just saw the movie and just got got in touch with uh, you know, the, the people behind the scenes and requested us. And, you know, those shows around the uh, New York, New York, New Jersey area, you know, uh, I like, you know, offer yeah. them, we'll, uh, we'll give them an hour set, man, if they want it, we can do it. 
get these guys on the show, right? Yeah. So we, yeah, we, get, we got three gigs. We got three real huge gigs out of it, and it was, it was fucking great. I wish that's we would amazing. pay a lot more. Yeah. Well, it seems to be coming there's around. Real, see, here, here, here's, the, here's the reality with Amble. We're, we're a real band, and we're real musicians, and everything's as real as it gets. We are the real deal. Yeah, you are. Okay? Every There's no other way to put it. It's the truth. We are the real deal. And a lot of people think or feel that we're like not real. They do? Yeah. Or we're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's people out there I don't think, think it gets any more real than Anvil. I agree, but there's people out there that think like we're a movie band. Oh, no way. No, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah there, there are some people that are that thin upstairs, but that's what they think. No way. Now, that movie is the culmination of your career. It's a badge of honor. That's, that doesn't define you at all, at all. You, des- you earn that movie through playing killer, kick-ass rock for 30 years. I, I, Don't you think? I, I completely. Of course, I agree with you. It's, yeah, it's the obvious. It's, like, it's the obvious, but I just said there are some folk out there. Oh, that that infuriates me. No way. Yeah, that's it. That's all. And they think no. we're novelty, or we're a novelty uh, thing. Um, there's certain weird things that are, that, are, that have been attached to Anvil that aren't really real, like you know, other or Spinal Tap, or yeah, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, no. Anvil, yeah. Anvil, you know, what's the saying? Really, I forgot a really great saying for that, right? Spinal Tap is the fake Anvil. <laughs> well, and who doesn't? Who in rock doesn't have a Spinal Tap moment? Well, everybody Every, does. That's, that's not a, just you. That's it. everyone. I agree, man. You, of course. You got it. So, But to be, you know, by some spoke again, going, oh, they're just like spinal, you know, it's like, they're not real, you know, it's like, to me, it's like, Jesus, man, like, dude, man, I really play drums, you know, and I, you know, and I'm fucking good at it, too. Yeah, you do, yeah. Next time someone gives you a hard time, you just challenge them to a drum off, and you'll kill them. Uh, I was reading, I was looking at the, uh, the website for the book, and there's, it's interesting, there's a, in the little brief bio of the band, uh, it says in here, Almost 30 years later, Lips and Rob, our unlikely musical heroes, are still chasing their dream. And I think I kind of know the answer to that based on our conversation because it sounds like what, may, what the movie may have done was set up Anvil as a band that you know doesn't get the respect they deserve and they're still out there chasing the dream. But if anything, it seems like you've kind of accomplished that since then. Would you say you're still out there chasing something or wishing for something or aspiring to something? Or are you well, pretty satisfied with where you're at these days? Well, we're always looking for more. Uh, that's just a human nature. But in our case, well, that more would be would be just to do more of rocking, just more rocking. Yeah, yeah. Because that's how we earn a living. So if, if people want to see it, so the more shows we play, the more people we play for. People like our band, we're always making fans. So if we've got that tour break, that would put us into probably a situation after the fact that we could be one of those bigger bands doing those big things. That would probably complete our journey for me. That's we've, I've been really wanting to. That's where Anvil has always belonged in my eyes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that would complete it. Chasing the dream, you know, it, it was always about recognition 
which I feel a lot of that has been fulfilled. Good. Good. Uh, you know, it's not like I, I have to prove anything personally myself, but I feel these days everybody just wants to see it now. And, you know, they get really, uh, they feel see, they all walk really impressed. So it makes me feel good. Like, okay, cool, man. Now people are coming in there digging what they're seeing and looking yeah. at you. Great. So if that continues on, I'd say I'm, I'll be, I'm content. I'll be content. Good. Good. Well, you deserve it. Um, I mean, I just want to tell you, Rob, you're, you're an inspiration to people on so many levels and not just the music that you put out there, but your the art that you, that you create, the, um, the integrity in which you go about, like you said, being a real band and real musicians doing things the right way, following your path. I just want to say it's an inspiration. And I think that's one of the main reasons why that movie, you know, uh, triggered so many things inside of people. It's seeing two guys who are buddies to the end, doing things from the heart, following their passion and just trying to make it work. And I just wanted to let you know that I, I'm grateful for the inspiration you've given me and all of your fans. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you deserve whatever riches, whatever acknowledgements, whatever comes your way from here on out. You deserve it, man. Well, you know, we work hard at this, man. You know, I love, I love it for the right reasons. You know, I never got into it because I wanted to uh, fuck chicks or, you know, make a million bucks. You know, I would take all of it, but that wasn't my motivation. Yeah. I I got in it for the music. I love music. Yeah. And I love to perform music. So that's what it is. It's again, it's still about for me to I get like a little kid, I love it when we write new songs and you know, what are we creating next? It's like my painting. You know, I draw a new picture and you know, you get excited about, you know, mixing colors and bringing it alive and stuff, you know. I live for that shit now. All right, Rob Reiner. There's no one else like him, right? Um, very interesting stuff. He's such a good dude. I can't stress enough. I love his artwork. Go look for it online. Uh, buy one of his puzzles. It's so crazy to me that such peaceful, serene uh, landscapes come from this you know, metal god of a drummer. It's crazy. Uh, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking to people who have songs, iconic songs, on iconic movie soundtracks that you probably have no idea who they are or what their life is like post appearing in this movie. Uh, I thought there'd be some interesting stories there. Big thanks, as always, to Aaron Syrett for producing this and everything else. The guy's a genius. And uh, also, please remember to find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod, find us on TuneIn, Um, find us on iTunes, write a review, subscribe. Uh, and if you want to drop me a line with some ideas of people you'd like me to find for you, it's thehustlepod at gmail.com. Thanks again, everybody for listening.